Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Terror is the first film to infiltrate a covert counterterrorism sting with filmmakers documenting the action in real time as it unfolds on the ground. Viewers get an unfettered glimpse of government's counterterrorism tactics and the murky justification behind them through a perspective of a 63-year-old black revolutionary turned FBI informant. We're joined today by the director, co-director, pardon me, of the film Terror, and, and that is David Felix Sudcliffe. Uh, it's also the other co-director is Lyric R. Cabral. And uh, David Felix Sudcliffe, welcome to Film School. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Tell me a little bit about this. It's such a remarkable film in, on a lot of different levels, but not the least of which is just what I said, the fact that we're able to get uh, a look behind what's t- what I would never have had access to, and that's one of the great things about documentaries, but never have had access to this level of information and understanding of what goes into a counterterrorism um, operation. Tell me a little bit about how this all came about. Well, the project actually started probably in 2003 when Lyric, my co-director, moved into a brownstone in Harlem and the other resident of that brownstone was Saeed Torres, who's the subject of our film. Uh, at the time, you know, she just thought he was kind of an interesting older gentleman, uh, listened to James Brown music and smoked a lot of pot, and she was curious to, to know more about his experiences in the Black Panther Party and struck up, you know, a friendship with him and spent, you know, a good amount of time uh, talking with him. And then at some point, uh, he, he revealed to her that he was actually an FBI informant. He'd been living a double life. Um, and he wanted her to write a book about him, but she demurred. She felt overwhelmed by his uh, his confession and kept him at an arm's length for a while. Um, but then in 2011, Lyric and I, who had met several years earlier, uh, I just happened to mention that I was interested in making a film about an informant, and she said, that's funny you should say that because I happen to know one. And she knew that he was interested in telling his story, so we reached out to him and said, would you be willing to participate in this documentary? And he said yes. And it just so happened that it... that that call came at a time when he had just received word from the FBI that he was about to begin a new investigation. We followed him, followed him along. Right. What's interesting about this is the uh, the sort of in that what you just, your answer the reveal that uh, he he apparently felt very comfortable with lyric to open up to the point of saying I'm an FBI informant. I mean, the sort of set of circumstances that had to line up for this to happen are. Pretty remarkable, but that in and of itself, I think, says a lot about uh, Saeed in in kind of his perception of what he his role in in all you know in this kind of world. Uh, he does seem to be a man who, a little bit embittered, I think, is fair to say, feels a little li- like he hasn't done as well as he was hope would hope to, and this is. Well, to describe, I guess I'm trying to describe him. But you can do a better job than I can of describing uh, Saeed Torres. Yeah, I mean, he's a he's someone who was in a difficult position. Yeah. Uh, he, in the early 90s, he was arrested for, you know, impersonating a transit officer uh, and stealing hundreds of thousands of dollars from the New York City transit system. You know, he was a skilled uh, criminal and was caught and was looking at 25 years in jail, and the FBI approached him and said, 
uh, we can give you a deal if you provide us with information about people within the New York Muslim community. And he, he agreed. You know, it seemed like a pretty, you know, that the choice was clear to him, you know, whether to spend a quarter century behind bars or to be released in, like, you know, five or ten years and return to his family. Um, and it's also, at that time, he was doing what I think most people assume informants do, which is provide information. Yeah. Uh, then after he was released, a short time after he was released, then 9-11 took place, uh, and they came to him and said, we, we need your help. We, need, we want you to go full-time. Uh, and from that point on, the, the kind of cases that he began working on became increasingly gray, where it seemed less that he was uh, infiltrating terrorist networks than uh, instead uh, creating them or creating, you know, radicalizing people, being instructed to radicalize or test people's radical potential uh, under directions from the FBI. And I think during that time, he uh, became increasingly confused within himself about you know, the legitimacy of what he was doing, uh, and as well as, and also whether the consequences were worth it. He was found out as an informant. He had to testify in a trial in 2007, at which point all of his former community members and friends came to see him at the trial and saw that he had, in fact, been working as an FBI informant, and he is exiled. He is no longer able to go back to New York. He feels unsafe. He feels unwelcome there. Um, and I, he's at the point in his life where he, I think he regrets uh, that 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 moment, um, and also is is frustrated that his work with the FBI is not respected by his superiors, uh, and also that he's being sent to investigate threats that really are less, uh, much less legitimate than the government would have us believe. Mm -hmm. Well, at this point, I think it's important to point out that the title, as I said at the top of the interview, is terror, but the T is in parentheses, so it's the and hence, really, a lot of the the uh, what we're talking about with this film, um, there is a sense, a growing sense, and 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 there's a, a tremendous uh, one of the strengths of terror is this uh, this growing sense watching the film that something's amiss, something isn't quite right right here. I think a lot of people who are paying attention have heard in sort of peripherally heard. There are cases of people that are in prison. We uh, we know that over half the people that are currently in Guantanamo have been cleared by every every intelligence agency in the United States to be released, and yet they still remain there. There's a sense that there's a lot of people that have been scooped up in this broad net after 9/11 that shouldn't have been, and also, and I'll sort of the other side as as well as the fact that uh, Homeland Security is getting billions and billions of dollars to keep the homeland safe. Uh, and yet you increasingly hear about these stories where there's, and this goes back in the history of the FBI as well, people being entrapped. And, and especially for somebody like Saeed who comes from a uh, background of the Black Panther Party, this is certainly uh, replete with, hi with the history of the Black Panther Party people who were uh, not uh, the uh, the uh, criminal slash uh, the the threat to uh, American society that uh, the FBI would have you believe. So there's a but as this film progresses, you get this sense. Okay, wait a minute, not this is not right. Um, did is that too long of an editorial comment, or do you, would how would you uh, assess what I was what I've been saying? In that yeah, regard? you know, we wanted to kind of you know start the film off without revealing too many of our methods. You know, we wanted to kind of yeah. begin where most people are, we assume, are beginning, where they're approaching this as outsiders. They're not really, they don't know what the context is here or what, uh, what, the, what, what these tar who these targets are. You know, the, at first glance, you know, the people who are being investigated, specifically in this film, you know, the 
uh, target of the investigation, and it's Khalifa Al-Akili, certainly a worthy target for investigation. Yeah. You know, his posting on Facebook, right. you know, his affection for the Taliban, his respect for Osama bin Laden, um, and, you, you know, you want to take a look at people who are posting and kind of making those sorts of comments. Uh, but the question becomes, you know, at what point are we, like, willing to just to, to watch and to listen? And at what point do we think that our government needs to kind of go in and, and deprive these people? You know, and if you look at the kind of disparity between the types of tactics that are applied in counterterrorism cases where Muslims are the targets, as opposed to, you know, investigations that aren't even happening, where, you know, you have white supremacists and white radicals posting, you know, not just equally offensive, but much more violent and frightening content online. And yet this, that same uh, mesh, the apparatus, the terrorism industrial complex, has not trained its focus, its gaze on, on those, those targets. I think this is where this is. It's not so much within the film, but it's a part of the conversation that we hope comes out of it, right. uh, especially in conjunction with reports that have been coming out over the past year. You know, the New American Foundation released a report saying that white extremists have killed twice as many people since 9-11 as Islamic extremists in the United States. Yeah. You know, and yet when James Comey, the director of the FBI, testifies before Congress you know, in his annual budget request, he, he mentions ISIS 13 times but makes no mention of white supremacists. The, 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 the actual people who have killed who have killed American citizens in this country. We're speaking with David Felix Sutcliffe. He is the co-director of the film Terror, along with Lyric R. Cabral. Pardon me. And uh, and to your point, absolutely. I, I think that there is a component of this, and I don't. I want to go back to talking about your film Terror, but there is a component of this: is that it's easier to scare the American people and the political class into uh, handing over a lot more money to do these things than it would be to talk about uh, homegrown terrorism in the form of white supremacists. Uh, so there unfortunately is just this, uh, and it feeds into a lot of stereotypes and things. Now, I'm not saying there aren't people who are interested and in, in working very hard, diligently to create havoc and, and death and destruction within the United States from outside. There are people that are out obviously doing that, but there does seem to be uh, this kind of overreaction and this uh, willingness to believe the worst uh, if it has to, if they're if they're involved with if they're Islamic or Muslim or the rest of it. So, um, and this is again part. This is as you said, this is sort of a subtext of what should be the discussion, certainly uh, prompted by the film terror. Um, I want to go back. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the the sort of. Uh, Saeed's uh, first significant case, and you referred to it earlier, uh, the jazz musician uh, Tarek Shaw, renowned jazz bassist. A L- little bit about his story and, and sort of the circumstances that brought um, Saeed into that. Yeah, Tariq was, you know, a well-respected jazz musician. He played with Betty Carter and uh, was also even played at uh, Clinton's inauguration in, I believe, 1994. Um or, I mean, 96, 94, sorry. <laughs> My sorry. Uh, but in any case, he, at one point, the FBI became interested in him and asked Saeed to start up a friendship with him and to take bass lessons with him. So for over a year, Saeed would spend three days a week with Tariq Shah, uh, several hours a day, taking these bass lessons. And during that course of time, you know, these two men struck up a friendship. They both, you know, had grown up in similar circumstances. Uh, Tariq Shah's father was actually 
you know, uh, close, uh, close, closely partnered with Malcolm X and was mm-hmm. his bodyguard. And, you know, he grew up within that community, a pretty kind of uh, politically conscious and black progressive community. And Saeed also considered himself to be, a, you know, you know, progressive, a, you know, a, you know, a radical, radical uh, black panther. And he'd come out of that movement, come out of that culture. And so I think these two men had a lot, a lot in common. And I think that there was a genuine friendship there. And yet, uh, he's, Saeed is still getting paid by the FBI, and he's still under orders, you know, to test Tariq and to see what, you know, what he's willing to do. And at one point, Tariq was arrested for driving without a license. And he was put in prison. I mean, not, not put in prison. He was taken to um, jail and bailed out by Saeed. Saeed was the only person he knew who could bail him out. And at the time, Saeed went and bailed him out. And afterwards, they spoke, and Tariq said, I'm so frustrated. Uh, I don't know what to do. I'm behind on my child support. He had been, you know, I think he was $70,000 behind on child support and said, you know, they take away my license. They might take away my passport. I can't travel for gigs. I can't make money. I'm stuck. Uh, and Saeed, who, you know, previously had been talking about, you know, the, you know, the way that Muslims were being targeted by American forces, armed forces around the country, I mean, around, around the world. And Saeed said, well, I know people who would be willing to pay you if you were willing to train them. Tariq was a martial arts expert, uh, and Saeed said, you, you know, I pitched him like I was a travel agent, like travel the world, you know, teach people karate, and you, you, you can get paid by Al-Qaeda to do this. And Tariq said, let me think about this. And then that kind of started up a relationship where Saeed then passed the baton to an undercover uh, agent, you know, FBI agent posing as an Al-Qaeda recruiter, who ultimately managed to get Tariq to pledge an oath of allegiance to, to Al-Qaeda. You know, and that's, you know, that, that's essentially all that Tariq did. He, you know, swore the oath of allegiance um, and then was, you know, arrested. And he's, he's, he pled guilty because he knew that the six possibilities of him winning this case were almost non-existent. So he's now doing 15 years in jail. Meanwhile, a co-defendant, uh, a friend of his who's a doctor, he said, you know, I have a doctor who can treat wounded fighters. Um, that fighter was brought in at the last minute and said, sure, you know, I, I'd like to help you know, our brothers who are being, like, attacked and injured and wounded. I am a doctor. I want to protect um, my my fellow Muslim brothers. And he touched the oath of allegiance as well, and he's now doing 25 years in jail because he tried to fight it. And ultimately they they found that he, you know, he was still still guilty. And juries, looking at these men, there's a, there's, it's, it's not easy to sympathize with them. These are people who are expressing hatred and anger and rage against our government and support for an odious enemy that has, you know, is responsible for the deaths of thousands of people. Right. So, you know, of course, juries are not going to give uh, much time, attention, or empathy to these particular defendants, but you have to ask, you know, a doctor pledging an oath, spending 25 years in prison. Meanwhile, we have rapists and murderers who receive sentences far less than that. And yet, in this case, no damage has been done, no property damage, no lives are taken. You know, is, is, is this justice? Yeah, and and you know, not to stretch this too uh, the boundaries of this conversation too far, but I keep coming back to people who uh, literally destroyed an, the American economy and um, profited from that destruction, continue to profit for uh, to this day, uh, and ruined the lives. God knows how many people are no no longer with us because of the financial ruin that that was uh, at their hands. And nobody from from the uh, from the financial class that I know of any anyone significant has ever seen the inside of a jail. So uh, they're, they're the 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 measure of what's uh, what's uh, you know uh, 
a, a heinous crime, in my opinion, is uh, is certainly uh, certainly seems to be pretty flexible. Um, yeah, and in fact, a writer Trevor Anson wrote a book, you know, interviewing a lot of FBI agents and also kind of writing about the you know the ways that the FBI has changed since nine eleven. And people said if there hadn't been so much attention on terrorism, you know, on this kind of you know this threat which is invisible, it's everywhere. Is, is it imaginary? Is it real? Uh, and if they had been kind of returning, you know, balance, keeping the balance that had existed before nine eleven. You know, they might potentially have caught some of the, you know, what 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 took place. You know, the fact that deregulation and like the, the, what was happening within the financial space. Uh, FBI previously, you know, investigate those types of crimes and that type of uh, criminal activity, and they might have caught that if they hadn't been so focused on catching people like Khalifa. Right. Well, uh, you know, Bernie Madoff is an example. Putting aside just sort of the institutional criminal uh, racketeering that went on. But Bernie Madoff is an example of somebody who was on the radar, seemed to be doing all the things that would call attention to him, and the FBI did seem to to not either have the resources or not care enough to to investigate what was obviously uh, something that was terribly terribly wrong. Um, we're speaking with uh, David Felix Sutcliffe, co-director of the film Terror, and I want to talk about the other co-director. That would be Lyric R. Cabral. Her access is amazing. I mean, this is the film, so much of the film is, you know, we're with uh, uh, Saeed as he goes about his business, sort of the, the day-to-day stuff. Um, just just a little bit, I mean, was there ever a point, it, would her, I mean, he meets with FBI agents, we're not in the room when he does, but but there's a lot of access to, this really is so intriguing and amazing. Um she obviously gained his trust, but I mean, this is a whole other level of trust to allow him himself to be filmed in the process of doing his work. What? What? Wow! What a level of uh, I don't know. Would tell me the dynamic that allowed him to allowed lyric to be a part of of what was going on. Well, yeah. I mean, they've known each other since two thousand and three, yeah. and when lyric asked him, you know, why did you why did you tell your story to me? He uh, he said, "Well, because you were there, you met Tariq, and it turns, you know, it turns out that that apartment in which you know Said was living, and where Lyric often spent time with Said, was wired with audio and video surveillance. And she had met Tariq on several occasions. She had no idea who he was. Yeah. You know, she just knew that he was a musician that Said was taking bass lessons from. Uh, but Said was like, you don't have to fact check me. You were already there. You've seen these people. Who um, Said had to leave suddenly in 2005, and that's when she found out. When all of a sudden he, he kind of disappeared from the apartment, and she got a call from him." Uh, so I think there was that simple fact. Also, another issue was that, you know, he, a lot of the friends he had before he left New York, he was forced to leave New York, once they found out that he was an informant, they cut ties with him. Yeah. And Lyric, to her credit, is, you know, is a pretty non-judgmental uh, individual. She's, she's, she's also she's a skilled journalist, and she's looking for stories um, and characters who can help illuminate issues such as this. Um, so I think... That, yeah. that was an important component. Another part, I think, to be totally honest, Saeed is he's kind of a thrill seeker. So yeah. this is a reckless move on his part, yeah. you know, and so he's taking certain uh, liberties, which, you know, I think at the end of the day have less to do with his trust for Lyric or for the filmmaking team and more to do with his, his kind of uh, bravura, you know, trying to test the FBI and push them uh, as, you know, as a consequence of their, their distrust and kind of shushing away of his concerns and his opinions over the past, you know, several, about two decades that he's worked with them. Yeah, well, I, 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 we're, in the last couple of minutes here, I, I 
a couple of things I want to touch on. Um, in addition to Lyric and yourself being co-directors, you were obviously you were in, heavily involved editing. You were a whole slew of other activities and then making of Terror. Uh, and uh, but also some of the other people that are involved with the project, Eugene Jarecki's involved, as well as Laura Poitras as a consultant, and I, a terrific uh, array of talented people uh, have been a part of uh, making of and the and making sure that uh, we got a a wonderful product from from you and from your team. Um, so congratulations on assembling some wonderful people. But uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't, you know, we really haven't touched on the, the some, in some ways, the most important part of this story, uh, and that ha- would have to do with uh, the uh, Saeed's surveillance and involvement with Khalif al- al- Ali al-Akili. Am I, did I even get close on that? I, I, I was trying not to call. butch. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I leave out his middle name. Uh, al-Akili. Okay, yeah. there you go. Uh, and his how all of that unfolds is really the uh, the the, uh, uh, the most Im- in some ways the most uh, detailed part of the of the story behind the film terror. But I want the listener to to see this film, and I want them to see how this unfolds because it's a it is terrific, and uh, the fact that you had access to Caliph uh, is uh, as well to be able to understand his perspective. Um, really makes this film, um, you know, something special. So uh, I, I, I didn't want to talk too much about that because I okay. do definitely want to, okay. y- again, as you, you referred to him, there, obviously there was an interest in him, his, uh, his uh, affinity or affection for uh, the things that he was posting on Facebook obviously made him somewhat of a, a person of interest, as you say in the film. Uh, but I think it would be a disservice to just uh, leave it. Uh, I think people need to see the film for that reason and ha- understand uh, the the the, uh, the limits and that we should have in, in the FBI, as you say, uh, in, is who's watching the watchers on in in uh, in what I read about the film, and I think that's really the, such an important point to be made in this. Well, thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hope hope people can check it out. Now, um, now. Yeah. Okay. We have our, you know, screenings are being listed on our website, terrordocumentary.org, and will also be broadcast on PBS in early 2016. So that's important. So the the uh, the website name again is terror terrordocumentary.org. Very good, terrordocumentary.org, and then you're screening on PBS in February 2016. We believe it's a tentative date, but uh, okay. w- once we have the date confirmed, we'll announce on our website as well. Okay, and, and any any theatrical releases in the in the offing, or is that? Yeah, you know? yeah, we're in the midst of a theatrical release right now. We opened in New York a few weeks ago, and are spreading out to different cities in, here in Los Chicago. Angeles. Uh, we'll be in Los Angeles in early December. Okay, so so stay tuned for that. Okay, well, I will post that to the filmschoolradio.com site, um, uh, upcoming screenings for the film Terror. Um, this is a wonderful film, and uh, again, it's such an important part of uh, just a, such an uh, interesting and um, compelling storyline. But I also think that the issues that are raised by your film are, uh, for any citizen of the United States, that we should, we should be paying attention um, well, Thank you so much. Uh, thank you, David Felix Sudcliffe, uh, along with Lyric Art. Cabral, the co-directors of the film Terror. Thank you so much for being on Film School. Thank you.
You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. 